the treasures that we have in Christ are should be most important to us. And our focus on Him should be above all other things. And that ought to be our testimony for me to live as Christ. He is my all. He is my focus. And really, if you have that heart attitude, even now as we get into tonight's passage, you'll be ready and prepared for the message. And uh, now, from what I said recently, you might be getting ready to turn back to Revelation. But I threw in a little bit of a monkey wrench here. I turned to Colossians tonight. Colossians chapter 3. Couple of reasons. I just felt like I didn't want us to lose our our understanding or our place in Colossians or our emphasis on that. And it just seemed the right time to remind us. We'll, we'll be back and finishing this book soon. But if you'll remember, as we got through Revelation, I just felt like it'd be good to take to work through the churches um, all together, morning and evening. However. As I was studying for this morning's message, realizing that the next church, the church of Thyatira, is also, there's quite a lot of information to give, um, and we didn't go over too much this morning, but it was a little longer, and I just felt like, let's let's wait to tackle Thyatira, the church in Thyatira, not the church, but the message that Jesus sent to the church uh, next week, and this is a shorter passage tonight, Colossians 3. One through four, and just continues to keep our mindset in this book so that we can finish it well. Um, there has been a wonderful emphasis through this book on the superiority of Jesus Christ. And now, as Paul gets into chapter three, he's going to start making all of this theology much more practical. And he does this many times in the book of Ephesians. We saw this all this wonderful information, theology about God and about Jesus Christ in the last few passages, or not passages, but the last number of chapters, then he makes it very practical, the same here in Colossians. And he takes all the things he's been talking about, about the superiority and the worthiness of Christ in our worship of him. His power is very creator, the God of heaven. And he tells us basically what to do with it. At this point, you'll remember he did give a warning uh, to the to the people in chapter two that we had focused on. And that was that they were instead of they were losing their focus on Christ and they were getting all excited and worked up by false teachers about earthly philosophies and false teachings that just could not compare to Christ. But yet they were still being tempted to focus on these things. It was some sort of worldly <clears throat> philosophy about angels and about spiritual experiences apart from, from Christ. We'll go back through that in just a minute. But Paul says, get rid of all that. Do away with all that. Put your focus back on Christ, and that will help you um, in uh, your, your Christian life to be more settled, to be more confident, to be founded on the right things. We'll see that today, to have dependence on the right things, the right person. Dependence on the things above. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to study this book, and to remind ourselves of its truth, and now really the practical outworkings of the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is our all. He is our creator. He is the king of all, the Lord of all, because of what he accomplished in his life and death and his resurrection. Now he can impart to us new life, a new way of thinking, and a heavenly focus that far outshines anything that we can be tempted with down here in this earth. So, Lord, help us as we just read these few verses and study them tonight to regain our focus, to seek the things above, the heavenly things, to regain our focus on Christ, help him to be our first pursuit and utmost passion. We need your help for that because we get distracted very easily. So help us in this. What's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dependence on the things above. First of all, in these first two verses, we can depend upon Christ because of his resurrection. Jesus should be our focus, our main focus. Now, as we go, before we go back to those verses, I'd like you to go back to uh, Colossians chapter 2, and I just want to read through quite a lengthy passage, 6 through 23, just to remind ourselves of where we've been in context here. Because Paul was very concerned, and he, he gave that overarching verse in chapter 2, verse 6, telling us again how what we should do with the fact that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, and how we should walk, and then warning us about being distracted by all kinds of different things here on earth. We get so distracted and attracted to little cheap earthly baubles, don't we? And we forget our focus on Christ. It's so easy to do. And these folks in particular were being um, distracted by some sort of strange philosophy and false teaching that was trying to impress upon them angelic beings and that they needed to um, follow after a, a list of stringent rules in their life and that they could have on top of their relationship, in addition to their relationship with Christ, other spiritual experience that were just as important, strange, but true. You know, if, if you think about this, another, we, we've tried to find some applications to our culture today. But really, if you think about it, even especially in Roman Catholicism, there is some strands of this that are very apparent. Focusing on things other than Christ, focusing on saints that have died and passed away that are in the heavens and revering those saints, revering Mary as much as they do Christ. And then these extra rules that they add to worship and to a relationship. And that basically, if you follow after these rules, then you'll be pleasing to God. You see, although this may sound strange to us, what Paul's talking about, we still have temptations in this world today, and Christians um, can follow after aspects of this that do kind of resemble what Paul's warning of here. 
chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, but in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one judge pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, and with regard to a festival or to a new moon or Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and remember remember this because he's still giving this emphasis as we get into chapter 3, that we are united in Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And he says here, if you're united and you are in Christ's death, the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, as if you still belong to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Summing this up, Paul is saying here at the end, you're united in Christ. Your faith in him, you have new life in him. You have a relationship with him. You're united in his death. As he died for our sins, now when you put your faith and trust in him, you are dead to sins. You are dead to the things of the world. You don't have to let the things of the world that other people are impressed by and spiritual experiences, probably uh, even satanic and demonic experiences. You don't have to let that rule intimidate or enthrall you. Be enthralled. Be all in and your focus all in for Christ and not these other things because they don't have any value. Only the power of Christ, folks, can help us to grow in spiritual maturity, to help us get victory over the things of the flesh, to stop the indulgence of the flesh. All the help that we need for spiritual growth in our lives and for every aspect of our lives is through Christ alone. 
Don't you get distracted today by looking at other things, whatever they may be, to help you or for your salvation or for help um, in your growth or to look for experiences beyond and somehow to be satisfying more than Jesus Christ. Don't you get caught in that either. And there's multiple ways in our culture that we can do that today. So again, that's a reminder. That brings us in then to chapter 3, verse 1. And then he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And remember, Paul here is not doubting the new life that we have, those that he is writing to, the church in Colossae. But he's pointing out the ramifications of their participating in his death and resurrection because of their union with him. If, but you know you have been raised with Christ, then this is what you should do with that. Jesus should be your focus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, he gives us power, he gives us new life, and because of that, we should not be living as if we were in the old life, in the ways of the world any longer. Don't look to the things of the world then, but seek the things that are above. Depend on Jesus. He gave us new life, and he should be our focus. Our, we should be heavenly-minded in that way. Um, you've probably heard the phrase that... If we're totally, how does it go? If we're totally, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Probably heard that. Um, well, that may have some practical truth to it, but we do need to be careful because, folks, here we have in Scripture words where Paul is saying, no, you, you make sure you're heavenly minded. We just have to understand what that means. That doesn't mean that that, that phrase that I just gave to you, people usually mean by that, well, don't just study God's word and be so entranced upon upon the theoretical things of God's word that you don't actually put into action the Christian life. Something of that nature. Well, what really the process should be, folks, is that as we reflect on the heavenly things, on the fact that Jesus Christ is dwelling in heaven and has all authority and all power, that motivates us to do, not the opposite of that. So, in effect, we do want to be heavenly-minded. Um, desiring, what that means is the things of Christ who now dwells in the heavenlies. Our attention should be on Jesus himself. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. And, folks, he is there. We can have confidence in that. He did die on the cross and shed his blood for our sins, but he was raised from the dead. And he was seen by many, and he ascended then with witnesses around him to sit, as we'll see in a minute, at the right hand of God. He is in heaven, and what that means is even that description of him in the heavenlies. We're seeking the things, we're looking to the things of Jesus Christ because he's in the heavenlies. Um, and what that means is that emphasizes then his rule over creation his power, and his glory, and his worthiness of all of our worship, the fact that he is in heaven, the dwelling place of God. But it also says, seated at the right hand of God. And here we have really reflected 
that kind of old friend to us now. Remember Psalm 110? We've studied that many times. Here we have Paul quoting and reflecting on that. Psalm 110.1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is David, if you'll remember our study on this, is saying that there is one that's higher than him that will one day have the authority of God and will defeat, will be the victor over all of God's <laughs> enemies. And the fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is there right now, this moment, sitting on the right hand of God shows that he has fulfilled that promise in Psalms, Psalms 110. And he is, because he is victorious, he reigns as king even now. He will return one day and we'll get to see visually his reign and experience that reign. But folks, please don't misunderstand. Jesus is king now. We're not waiting for him to be king someday. He's victorious. His sitting on the right hand of God means that he has all the authority of king, and he is worthy of our worship. There is no one else. And he has the authority to expect that worship from us. And so Paul says, you focus on Jesus. Don't let these things of the world and these false teachers distract you. Focus on the one that truly deserves our praise and worship. Describes the sovereign rule of Christ here. It's already a reality. One day the final realization will take place when he returns, and we look forward to that. But it's already a reality. It's interesting as well. talks about Jesus being seated in heaven. You know, the, the Jewish people uh, really struggled. Judaism, Judaism in particular struggled with that concept. Even Psalm 110.1 as they read through that, they weren't fully sure what to do with that. Because in their minds, and, and we can understand this, God is the only one with the authority and power to be seated in an authoritative position in heaven. So as they read this Psalm 110 and 1, they tried to make some application, but really many times in Judaism they were puzzled because how can one sit with the authority of God? That's not possible kind of blew their minds in that way. In fact, they struggled with the application of that verse. One Jewish saying stated, On high there is no one sitting, regardless of what this verse means. Nobody can sit in the heavenlies like God. And yet Paul makes it clear that yes, one could, the Son of God, who became man and offered himself up for us, and now reigns, this one is worthy to sit in authority in heaven. And Paul proclaims Jesus as the divine authority over all creation, and he is fully sufficient in our lives. He's all we need. These folks in the church of Colossae were looking for other spiritual experiences, focusing on angels and other things, to satisfy their desire for closer relationship with God. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be distracted by these things. Just see, look at Jesus even more fully. Read his word. Keep your focus on him. Keep your dependence on him. Don't depend upon anything else that these false teachers, that your, your own works, these strange rules that these teachers and philosophers are trying to apply 
get you to follow after. You only need Christ. Never lose your focus on that. Folks, whatever is distracting you, even today, even this week, we get a lot of distractions in our lives. There's more ways to be distracted now through technology and other things than there ever has been before. Don't you lose your focus on Christ. And make sure that you're depending upon him. Not trying to follow a list of rules to somehow please God on your own, but where our dependence is fully on him. Lord, whatever I need to do to please you, I need your help to do that. I cannot do that. I cannot follow a list of rules um, that make me look good and somehow please you. I need my dependence and focus on Christ. That's what Paul is pointing out here in chapter 3, verse 1. And then he continues, verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And that phrase, to set our minds, goes even further in expectation that we will not just focus on Christ, but we will actually submit our very thoughts to to what he would have us to do. And that also means then that not just our thoughts, but our actions as well will be submitted to Christ as he is our focus. Set your mind on the things that are above means that I will submit my thoughts and actions to Jesus, who is my authority. Now, I've mentioned many times that Philippians has a number of the same themes that Colossians does. And I'm going to read, uh, Paul actually expands upon this concept in Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me there quickly. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And again, he's expanding on this concept of that as we have Christ as our focus, we submit to him as Lord. Our very thinking and our actions need to reflect. That Jesus is all we depend on, and he is our Lord that we're submitted to. Chapter 3, 17. Brothers, join me in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame with minds we have that same tie-in with what Paul is saying in Colossians. Their minds are set on earthly things. But, verse 20, that should not be the case for God's people. Our citizenship is not on earth. It's in heaven. Keep that focus. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. There are times with our kids, uh, adults never do this right, but they get so enthralled sometimes with a book or with uh, a TV show that they're watching that will call to them, maybe from another room, and in loud enough tones that they, there's no excuse for, for not hearing us, right? And <clears throat> we expect that they'll obey and uh, we wait little bit and sometimes they'll even have their headphones on while they're watching something on their computer oh mom and dad i was just i'm just following a lesson in school or whatever well 
then why is that other site not? Well, you know. But the point is, is that as we are trying to get them, tell them to do something, they're distracted. They can't focus on what we're telling them to do because they're distracted by other things. And it takes a few times to call after them. And maybe, this doesn't happen all the time, but when we struggle with this, maybe sometimes some discipline is involved as well to regain their focus from these other things that are distracting them. Because what we need them to do is so important. Um, and that can be a distraction for us as believers as well when we get so distracted by other things and we're not listening to Christ. I remember a young lady, she really just needed to have a closer walk with God and be more obedient to him. But she was distracted by a lot of things. I remember one time her coming up and all excited that she had decided to commit to um, diet, to observe Lent. And she was so excited about this. And I, I just thought about that. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I asked her some more details. Uh, but as I remember back on that, she was all excited about this strict observance to um, this, you know, the Lent uh, concept, somewhat Catholic in nature or whatever. And she was missing the true need to be focused on the things of Christ. Uh, a lady that uh, just a number of years ago who um, called me and was seeking some spiritual guidance and so the gospel, she seemed to trust Christ at that point, and we were all excited. And we, but then as we continued to meet, it was apparent that she was being distracted by so many other things. In fact, she would even talk about spiritual experiences that she had had with what she believed were actually appearances of angels, interestingly. And she would talk about, um, she was distracted by the Apocrypha and other books of the Bible beyond what um, God made clear is a part of his word. And she, she was so um, desperate to find these spiritual experiences apart from God's word. And we tried to pull her back and tried to say, focus on Christ. And she just was never able to do that. People today can get distracted by these same kinds of things. And Paul says, don't let that distract you. Jesus must be our Lord. Nothing should distract from our worship of him as we live on this earth. Well, furthermore, as we get into verses 3 and 4 now, as we finish up, we can depend upon Christ as well because we are in union with him. And our very security in life is tied up in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, Paul pointing out that we are unified with Jesus Christ in his death. We have died to sin, and therefore we have died to the dependence and pull of the things of earthly things. But you have life in Christ. And there's many aspects to this phrase, your life is hidden with Christ in God. First of all, it points out that we have participated with him in his life and death. That is signified when we come together for communion in the Lord's table. As we, um, as we contemplate all that Jesus has done for us, we also realize that we are in union with him. Again, what does that mean? That as he died for our sins, that that with our relationship with him, that we are dead to sins. As he was raised 
from the dead to life. So he gives us new life and we um, participate with him in these things in that way. That's one uh, application of your life is hidden with Christ and God. It also means that we are truly hidden, that our security is in Jesus Christ, that he is our refuge. And again, Paul's pointing out, don't seek a refuge or safety or protection in any other thing or rules or regulations or spiritual experiences beyond Jesus. He's all you need. You're hidden. Your new life is hidden. It's secure with Christ. How can it be? Because Christ is in God. He is God. The other thing it represents is he's fully sufficient for us. And that all the blessings, eternal blessings that we have are in our relationship with Christ. And right now, some of those blessings may be hidden. But as he points out in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. We will have that new body. We'll have that eternal uh, communion with Jesus Christ. And all of these blessings, these treasures are hidden in our relationship with Christ one day to be fully experienced. Another aspect that this phrase refers to as well, that our identity, if our life is truly hidden with Christ, it reflects the fact as we're unified with him, we have true relationship with him. We are truly one of his own, and he should be our full focus. He's our security. And then Paul mentions as well, describes this in a unique way here. That Jesus is our life. Not that he gives life, that's true. But here in verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is actually your life, your life is no longer your own, folks, once you trust Christ. But he is your life. He's your reason for existence. He's the one that gives you spiritual life. The only reason you're able to draw breath. Your physical life is because of Jesus Christ. He is your life, and one day he will appear. When that happens, you will appear with him in glory. And what that means is that we will participate with him in a new life forever. It may also refer to the fact that in his second coming, that we will rule and reign with him as well. Four verses very short, that make it clear that all we need is in Jesus. What are you distracted by today? Think of that this week. Ask the Lord, Lord, what things distract me from a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? What things keep me from fully depending upon Jesus? What else am I depending on besides him? Paul says, don't let these other earthly things distract you. Don't put your dependence in them. Don't put your hopes and your longings in those things. Focus again more closely on the heavenly things, on the things of Jesus Christ, and pursue those things. Because, folks, he is all we need. He is our treasure. And all the blessings that we will ever need or desire come through him, and one day we'll experience those in a full way. We truly are rich in Christ. Father, thank you for this little reminder of who we need to depend on. We put, even as believers, our confidence and dependence in so many other things many times other than Christ. Practically speaking, 
or help us to be more focused and dependent on the one who rules and who is seated at the right hand of God, who will reign forever, our King, our Lord. Help us to be willing to submit our thoughts and our actions to uh, what to his demands and his expectations and not to um, strict rules and um, false, strange spiritual experiences that the world offers. Help us to shun the world and love Jesus more and serve him better. This we ask in Jesus' name and we pray. Amen.